Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here, and I wanted to ask you a quick favor. If you like this show and it has helped you, please remember to rate, review, and follow it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Also consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. And now let's get to the creative chat. Are you more of a pure creative or entrepreneurial, left-brained or right-brained, an idealist or pragmatic? If these questions seem too black and white, it's because they are. We're all capable of learning and unleashing multiple sides of ourselves and finding the creativity in all paths. Of course, it's always scary to start wandering into the unknown, but today's guests will remind you that it's possible to be more than one thing and that it's even easier to do when you have a mastermind alliance and you collaborate with fellow creatives you trust. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, and spirituality. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine, Britt Rowe. Britt and I went to theater school together and came up singing and dancing in musicals. She's done her fair share of acting and singing, but she's also an incredible multi-passionate. She's an advocate and voice for the natural hair movement, an Instagram influencer, and now she's one of the co-founders of Hella Awkward Cards, a card game and business that she helped design to create deeper and more meaningful connections among friends and lovers. In fact, she just started her first ever crowdfunding campaign for Hella Awkward Cards, and you can support her at funblackfounders.com slash Hella Awkward Cards. More on that later in our chat. I wanted to have Britt on the show because most of her life she labeled herself as a quote unquote pure creative and not as someone who had potential to run a company. Some people shy away from something due to inexperience or the idea that your identity revolves around your college major or your most recent job. Many of us have done that or do that now. I know I have. But what's so inspiring about Brit is that she navigated her fear by constantly pushing herself to learn. And in that process, she found confidence in herself. She found community and empowerment. If you're more of an artist type who's always yearned to learn how to become an entrepreneur, this show will help you. If you're somebody who's more of an entrepreneur who wants to learn how to step out and do something more artistic, this will help you. Basically, it's for anybody who's struggled with staying in the label they thought they were supposed to have and how you can break out and do something that you never imagined was possible. Okay, so here we go. Here she is, my dear friend, Britt Rowe. Britt, I love you so much. I'm so happy to see your face. I'm so happy you're on the podcast. I'm so proud of you. I feel like you and I reach out to each other like every three months and we're just like, I'm so proud of you. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you're doing. I love following all the amazing projects you have going on. So I'm I'm proud of you and I miss you. I miss you so much. And I feel the same exact way about you. And I'm just, I'm really proud that both of us have become such 
extensive, multi-passionate <laughs> creatives and we're building out different income streams for ourselves and absolutely really leaving our mark in such a, a diverse way. So welcome to the podcast and congratulations on being awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. What a great intro. <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know, Britt and I went to college together. Yes. We both got BFAs in acting. La la la. A lot of musical theater. Uh, <laughs> we were in the Who's Tommy together. No. No. By the way, I watched that with Steffi recently. I need to see this. Holds up. <laughs> you do. I also watched Rocky Horror Show. No. By the way, Andrea's parents filmed that one, so they cut me out of every scene, but you were all awesome. <laughs> I bet. They only got her. Like, they were zooming in on her the whole time. But the good news is you were by her a lot, so you can see yourself. Oh, great. I got my foot. Like, it was great for anyone with a foot fetish. They would love this version Ooh, nice. of the production. Um <laughs> Amazing. Yes. I need to watch that as well. But as you can probably tell, we were in a good number of fantastic productions that shattered the earth with their magnitude. We had some great times. We did. And we always love singing together. You know, you and I collaborated when I came and did a concert in New York. You sang with me on a concert out here. Mm-hmm. Britt has an amazing voice. She's an incredible actress. Thank you. But What I'm so excited about are these other diversions you've taken while pursuing your creative career. Yeah. And I brought something up like when we were gearing up for this because I'm like, what should we talk about? And one of the things you've done, first of all, let me bury the lead, is you've created this page called Naturally Big Brit where you share Mm -hmm. your natural hairstyles as a black woman and like the products you like, your journey of like – really like letting it go natural, braids, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And But in college – this was not the the path you were taking. No, not at all. You were straightening your hair every day. Mm-hmm. This is a two hour process, <laughs> <laughs> and th- and I have this distinct memory that I brought up to you before we started the call of like you and two other women we went to school with. One of them was Polynesian. One of them was also a black woman, and you were talking about like the differences between doing your hair. Yes, I remember this. I remember there was a debate and a fight, and I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like observing it and I like put a pin in it for myself. And then when you started making that page, I was like, oh, here she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the real Brit. Absolutely. So tell me about stepping into yourself and embracing and, and learning to love your natural texture and how that has affected you as a creative and as a human. Yeah, I mean... I think for Black women growing up, it was always wanting to assimilate into white popular culture, which was straight hair, Mm -hmm. wanting to have the lightest skin you can have. Like that was very popular. Like I have distinct memories of my grandmother using bleach to scrub my elbows to make sure they don't get black. You know, like that was just common. Like that wasn't even like a weird, strange thing. Um, and the same for my mom, like wanting to make sure my hair was straightened. And, you know, I, I begged my mom to get a perm, which is a relaxer, which is to straighten your hair. And my mom would not allow me to do that. And so instead I had to use a hot comb and just straighten my hair every single day. It took a long process, but I was determined to really make sure I fit in. I went to a a predominantly white school and I wanted to make sure that I was not standing out as much as possible. And so what that meant was kind of 
covering myself and shielding myself and who I really felt like I was and not feeling comfortable, you know, and not having the knowledge, the education of what my hair actually was, how my texture really looked like, what curls were, you know, I had zero clue. I had zero knowledge of that because that just wasn't the case in my community growing up. And so I think as I got older, I tried experimenting more and more with different styles. You know, sometimes in the summer you're at the pool. It's like, okay, what does my hair look like if I'm just let it go wet and stay wet and just kind of be out and be this wild fro. And I never felt fully comfortable with it until moving to New York. One of our friends, Piaget. <laughs> I'll shout her out, Piaget. Hello. I love Piaget. I saw her recently. Oh, nice. Oh, good. Yeah. So we moved to New York together. And I had asked her, you know what, just do a little perm on me. Do like, they have like different levels. Do like the kitty perm on my hair. Cause I just want to see what it's like. So she had grown up always having perms, which in the black community, that means to straighten it. Mm-hmm. So she was like, great, I'll do it for you. This would be so fun. You can finally see what your hair would look like if it was just permanently straight. We were excited. Turns out <laughs> she had never done you know, non-permed hair before. And so I had suffered a lot of chemical burns. My hair was falling out of my scalp. It was just like completely altered in a really awful way. And like, she just didn't know how to do it. And I obviously didn't know how to do it. So it was just an experience where I had no choice, but to just not touch my hair or else it would all fall out. And so that process was like the beginning of figuring out how do I actually do my hair when it grows out of my scalp how do I do it? So I had to start learning by doing, trying a bunch of things. I made a bunch of like DIY creams and weird oils. And I would watch a billion YouTube videos. And then I decided, you know, I should help other people. There's so many people who don't know about their natural texture. And so I wanted to create content that was relevant to my journey. And people seem to be receptive to that and just sharing, you know, like what products really work for you? How do you really feel confident in your natural hair? How do you go to work and feel professional with curly hair? Like all of those sorts of things, which is me kind of stepping into this role of feeling like I can just be who I am, like how I was made. I was born with curly hair Mm -hmm. and I'm going to share my curly hair journey and building a community of other black women who really just they were they were going through the same thing and they you know it was it was a a movement i would say that has become the norm and now natural hair everyone knows about curly hair everyone knows about you know the natural hair movement and so it's just really nice to say that i was a part of it pretty early and kind of helped me become who i am who i was always meant to be yeah i mean that's what i really think that's when the i'm so proud of you messages really started because it was like I feel like I saw you in a different way than I ever saw you before. And also in theater, like we should call out, it's not easy to be a person of color mm. with all of the natural ways a person of color would present if they weren't trying to fit into this white box. Yeah, you know, exactly. And so that wasn't easy for you either mm-hmm. because, you know, even our theater program was predominantly white. We were doing plays mostly that were written by white people for white people. Mm-hmm. And so... It was like a survival mechanism. Absolutely. What did it feel like to unleash your hair? Like how did unleashing your hair and your essence help you step into unleashing your true creative? Well, I think the first thing is just feeling so much more confident 
so much more, I guess, like ballsy as a word, just able to just jump in and say, I'm going to try this out. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And you learn from it. I'm going to be, you know, building community more so like working with other creatives and working with other people, especially as I was making, um, you know, videos and Instagram posts about my own hair was building community with other people and, and learning from each other and saying, Hey, I love what you did with that. How did you do that? How did you make that video? How did you style your hair like that? Like all of those little things where we were learning from each other kind of, it just helps build the confidence and it makes you feel like, if I can do this, then I can do other things. Like this translates into other arenas, other aspects of your life. And you just feel like, damn, like, girl, I look good. (laughs) Like I I feel good. I look good. I feel good. So of course I'm going to walk into any aspect of my life with that kind of energy, just feeling super confident and super good about myself while kind of learning and developing with my natural hair. And I think that especially with the community aspect of it, like knowing that other people are receptive to, you know, your hair care and your growth in that journey and seeing like, wow, if people are excited about this with me, then of course I can do something else. And they're going to be excited about that mm-hmm. because I'm just a badass bitch. Yes, you are. At this point. <laughs> at every point. That's, that's when you knew it. Yeah. That's when I feel like I knew it. Yeah. And, you know, whether you're a person of color or a woman or a person in the LGBTQIA community, like anyone who has been in a marginalized group, we've done things to compromise ourselves, to fit in, to be better, whether it's like, right. I know there's so many times I've tried, like, I'm not quiet. I'm not ladylike. <laughs> I'm not small. And I don't think that I've tried that hard, but there are times when people have shamed me for not being like a perfect girl. Uh, yeah. And then I've like cowered down and kind of backed off for a while or like I'm sure there's times for you like where people have done microaggressions I don't know for me like sometimes I realize it like two weeks later and then I'm like I'm gonna go fight them (laughs) (laughs) like one time I was eating a huge ass Jimmy John sandwich at a party and this guy comes up to me and goes well you're not on a diet and I was like nope and at that time I just kept eating yeah because I was like this is a fucking great sub I'm gonna keep going (laughs) but then Two weeks later, I was sitting in therapy and I was like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, what? You know, but then I felt shamed like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been eating that sandwich. So I guess this is a long winded way of asking you, like (laughs) anytime we make steps forward, there are backlashes either from society or even within ourselves. Like, how did you deal with like the backlashes of like white supremacy trying to be like, no, straighten your hair, Brit. Oh, yeah. yeah, Look more white, Brit. And what would be your advice for somebody else who is in a marginalized community, like trying to take a step toward authenticity within themselves, mm. but hearing that white supremacy voice trying to rein them back in to be small. That's the thing. It's it's hard and it took a lot of time. Like, I don't want people to say like, oh, you, you had curly hair. And then the next day she was so confident. Like, no, this yeah. is years of me building this like esteem and growing that. And I think that the biggest thing is it's generations of white supremacy that is just like bearing down your brain telling you, mm-hmm. nope, you need to straighten it. Nope. You should put this kind of makeup on. Nope. You need to look professional. And that means wearing your hair in a sleek bun and all of these things, you know, and it's family members, yeah, aunts, uncles saying, Oh girl, you need to do something with your hair. Uh-uh, your hair is looking crazy. Like all those sorts of comments, they weigh down on you. And so having the confidence to like say, Nope, this is what I'm going to do. That takes time like allow the time to kind of pass and just be intentional, always be like self-aware and 
when you hear things like that, know that that's their crap Mm -hmm. that they are dealing with. That happens to be oppression, but that's them. Like don't internalize because it's not going to serve you in the end. You know, you have to kind of like let people go through their own journeys and know that like, girl, you're amazing. You're beautiful. Have those affirmations that you continuously say to yourself, like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that. I acknowledge that that's how they feel because of the system that we live in, but I'm going through my own journey and I feel beautiful. I feel amazing. I feel confident. I look dope as fuck. Then just live in that and know, like, just acknowledge it. I think because like the time it takes is, was years for me, especially like Mm -hmm. trying to be natural. And obviously like weight is also a part of it, like changing your weight and all like, you know, like you said, for women, like that's always a big part. But yeah, take the time, you know, acknowledge other people's go through their shit and always have affirmations for yourself to say, I'm amazing. I'm doing the right thing for me. Well, and I think you started that too when like you called yourself Big Brit. Like you weren't afraid to take up space, (laughs) which as a woman, it's so powerful because we're literally taught that the best way to achieve womanhood is by being small. Yeah. Yeah shrinking. And so your rebellion started pretty young, (laughs) even though you didn't look at it like that. You were probably just like, I love the alliteration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Big Brit was a nickname that I got as a child. I have a cousin whose name is also Brittany. We're the same age where we grew up like best friends and she's a few months younger than me. So I was always Big Brit and she was always Little Brit. And so I just, I love the nickname. I just always thought it was really fun. So I just kept it always. And I think at a certain point, it did become Big Brit. It did become taking up the space and pronouncing myself and announcing myself to the world and wherever I am, like I'm Big Brit. So I have a question for you. When when somebody like in your family says something to shame you for being yourself, basically, but because yeah. of their own shit and their own internalized white supremacy or whatever it is. Do you correct them or is, do you find the best method is just to like move on and like keep going in your own direction? What do you do? Or is it case by case? Uh, I think it is case by case. I think it depends on if it is shared with love. Mm-hmm. If they're saying, hey, you know, you really should straighten your hair just so you know, like if you want to go to that interview, I really do. Like if it's if it's they're trying to be helpful in a genuine way, then I do think I can take the time to say, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me, but I love how my hair looks. And I do think that this is professional. And I think that the system that we are currently living in does not support us being ourselves. So I'm going to take this little moment to fight that system and go into that interview with my curly hair. And I hope that you can one day feel confident to do the same. Mm. But if there's somebody who's like, "Uh uh-uh, girl, you look crazy. Like, all right, I'm not going to acknowledge that because that's coming from a different place. And I don't need to allow that energy into my space. Because if it's not coming from love or from help, then it's just not for me. I love that. You mentioned affirmations. Like a huge part of the show has become giving people tools to learn how to love themselves. Because I really think Mm. what I've learned in my 10-year journey pursuing the artist's way is that if you don't have a platform of self-love, either you can't pursue this stuff or if you do pursue it, you're coming at it from a place of trying to gain worth and then you're never going to really get what you want. Uh, So my main thing is to try to empower people to be themselves and love the person that they are. Yeah. And so that's why I think your journey is so powerful. But 
like I said, you mentioned affirmations. Like, are there any other kind of spiritual or mental health practices you engage with to help you maintain that platform of self-love? Yeah. I mean, I'm a person who loves having alone time outdoors. I love just taking a nice walk in Central Park and just being in the, in the nature and seeing the trees and seeing animals, you know, fly around. Like that is like a a way that I stay grounded and I feel super connected to the earth. And it feels like a spiritual practice for me. I love just checking in with myself and just saying, all right, how's your week? (laughs) What, how did it go for you? Do you feel like you accomplished what you wanted to do this week? Do you feel good? Do you feel healthy? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling sad? Like I just kind of do a full check-in. And sometimes I journal, sometimes I just kind of talk to myself internally, but it's, it's just a good way for me to always be kind of aware of like where I'm at, just knowing like, okay, this is where I'm at this week. This is what it is. Okay. Now I kind of know what to do for next week. Like, all right. I I was feeling super lonely last week. Okay. Why was I feeling lonely? Was it because I had a really bad day? (laughs) You know, was it because I decided not to hang out with my friends. Like there's different little things that affect it, but you can check in and always just kind of be aware of what you're doing and just taking stock of where you're at. And then I think doing that in nature always makes me just feel like less distracted by all the bullshit. Yeah. And like being able to feel like a bit more centered. I love that, Britt, because so often I'm guilty of this too, like every day, but we just let life happen to us. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, I'm this today and I'm that. And we never ask why, because if we ask why, if we were really kind of detectives in our own lives and looking at the full picture, we could say, okay, this pattern is what is creating this seed of unhappiness in me. Right. How do I uproot that and plant something better and then start tending to that instead? So that's such a good point because we all know that that's true, but it's really hard to engage with that pattern of self-evaluation and then action based on the evaluation you conduct. Right. It's important. And I think, you know, I've, I've been reading um, this book called All About Love and I don't know if you know it. But... No, no. Give it a plug. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great book. You should check it out. She talks about love and and she talks about um, just unconditional love and like what the idea of unconditionally loving someone is. And her theory is that the only person we can love unconditionally is ourselves. And that just really resonated with me because, you know, you hear about, oh, your partner, you're supposed to love them unconditionally till death do you part. But really there are conditions when you think about other people, you know, your job or how you treat their family or like there's conditions, but with yourself, you're the one true love of your life. And so I think it's really important to just make sure that you are always good. Yeah. And I just want to stay for the record. I just said stay, but I wanted to say state. (laughs) State. So here are the words I want to use today. State. I want to state for the record. I don't think that most love with other people should be unconditional because if someone does something fucked up, I don't think that you should stick around for that if they're not willing to take accountability for it Mm -hmm. and act better. Absolutely. And also the other point is, to to your point, you can't give away what you don't have. So if you don't have that platform of self-love, you can't really authentically give it to someone else. So 100%. Sounds like we should all read that book. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Britt, you have to fill me in because you've got this incredible company now, Hella Awkward Cards. <laughs> yes. I can't wait to get my own set. I'm going to, right after this call, go ahead and purchase some. Thank you. 
But I have to know, because you, like me, after school, you were like, I am going to be an actor. This is the only way. And of course, our paths take different twists and turns. And we find these dreams on the way to our dreams. And they sometimes take over. Yeah. And you saw that with Naturally Big Brit, your Instagram page. And now you've got this company. But I'm kind of wondering, what was the journey from actor and just wanting to do that to now being this multi-passionate creative and entrepreneur. Can you take me through that a little bit? Oh my goodness. That was quite a journey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still on the journey, of course. Same, same. I think moving to New York, yeah, I was ready, gung-ho, like let's audition. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be in theater. I'm going to do the musicals. Like I was ready. I was auditioning every day. I was trying to grind it out. I was at the open calls. I was figuring it out. Let's tell people what that's like too, because I've actually never had a New York theater actor on my podcast. You're getting up at what, like three, four in the morning? Yes. And then you're standing in a line in the (laughs) freezing cold. Yes. Hoping to get a 15 second audition. Hoping to be seen for that day. Uh And it would be a line of people that all look similar to you because, you know, you have your, there's a type and they're looking for a certain type for a certain role. And so you're waiting in line, freezing, hungry, checking the clock, because all of us are also having to go to our nighttime jobs, usually some service industry job. And so you're just praying that you get seen for that day. And so that was it. Like, Constantly, every day, checking the auditions, going to the auditions, working at your job at night. And it was just a rotation of that for a long time. And then once you book something, usually it's not super high paying. So you're still having to figure out other ways that you can work. And for me, it was it was super fun. And I felt like, wow, I'm really doing it. I'm really living that New York actor lifestyle. But ultimately it was draining. I was exhausted. It was so tiring trying to like consistently keep up. And, you know, there's the competition aspect with all of these people who you're feeling like, wow, they are they doing more than I'm doing? Should I be mm. taking every other class I can take? Should I be losing more weight? So I'm looking skinnier. Should I, you know, should I be having a different look? You know, like all of these things come into play and it just felt really exhausting to me. And I was realizing that, I had to figure out a different way to do this because I love doing theater. I love performing. I love telling stories, Mm -hmm. but I I couldn't do it like that anymore. So then it was figuring out a new way to to tell stories. And I think Naturally Big Brit was a great way for me to still feel like I had like a, a platform to connect with people and tell the story of my natural hair and hear other people share their journey as well. And so that was like a a great step. It felt like it was a gateway drug. Finally, I have like an outlet. (laughs) Like I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I have a way to like connect and build, you know, that I created that was like mine to to do. And that felt really great. And then moving into like entrepreneurial life, I never thought this was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Tell me about the spark for this idea or like the thought like, oh, this could be me. Because we were not, first of all, I don't know about you, but I was not raised to think I could do that. (laughs) Yeah. And then we went to school that didn't really prepare us for that, even though that should really be the first thing that they taught us. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I I think actually to, to our theater program's credit, our theater program gave us a lot more tools for the business side of things than other theater programs. A hundred percent. What I'm saying is like Michigan State as a whole, I wish that they now have an entrepreneurship program. Like I would have loved to minor in that. That's a minor there. Wow. I had no idea. But like I wish that that had been a thing because 
I think that it's a natural place for artists to be is entrepreneurship. A hundred percent. You, you are your own business. You advocate for yourself. You have to be the one who has the website, who mm-hmm. <laughs> knows how to talk to an agent, who knows how to set up emails to follow up after you do take a class with that casting director. Like you have to know how to do those sorts of things. And those are business things right. that we often don't get taught, but that's a part of being, if you're you know in the theater industry, that's a part of it. It's a huge part of it. You have to be able to, to do those things that typically are business related. And so if we're not being taught that, how do you yeah. even know to do it? How do you know it's a possibility for you? So how did you know? First of all, like, where did this idea come from? And then how did you know? I think for me, I, growing up, saw my dad try to start businesses, typically unsuccessfully because of other personal issues that he had going on in his life. But I saw his hustle and his vision and his dream to like want to work for himself and he would want to share that with with us with his kids. And so seeing somebody like build something and be excited about something and being at the computer and being on the phone and trying to make it work, it left an impression on me. And I don't think I really realized that until I got older because you know when you're younger you're just like, oh whatever. I got my own things, your parents like, okay, cool. They take care of you and that's just that. <laughs> but yeah. I think as you get older you kind of see your parents as people and see them fully and wholly. And then you can kind of say, oh, I didn't realize that some of those lessons that my dad taught me of like, when you're on the phone and someone offers you something, you can say, oh, what about this? You can kind of like, that's negotiating. I didn't really put that piece together. My brother, Brandon, he did go to college and he went and studied business. So for him, that was made a huge impact, you know, seeing my dad work and he made that his biggest focus. And so I just really loved watching him build his career. And he would help me all the time, like looking over resumes or telling me, oh, you should check in with that person. Oh, follow up with that person. Oh, did Britt, did you link up with them on LinkedIn? Like he would always be kind of encouraging me to do things like that. And I was like, LinkedIn, I don't need LinkedIn. Like, what is that for? I'm I'm an actor, but he would be like, you should do it. P.S. For anyone listening, LinkedIn is like one of the most underrated marketing tools, and it actually puts your stuff out to people who would never see it otherwise. So Mm -hmm. do not sleep on LinkedIn if you're a creative. Yes, absolutely. Shout out to Brandon. (laughs) So yeah, so I, I definitely was like inspired by him and he would definitely help push me in that direction. But I was still not ever thinking that I would start just fully my own company, you know, like that was not on my radar. Like for me, being an actor, having naturally a big Brit, like those were things that I was being entrepreneurial with, but it wasn't like a company, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't a separate entity. Like even with naturally big Brit, as I started growing, I started getting brand deals and working with other um, like sponsorships, things of that nature. And so I'd have to look over contracts and I'd have to negotiate pay rates and have to figure out, okay, if I post these many things, then I should get that much money. And so that was all like, really fun to try and figure out and asking, you know, my brother asking other people like, okay, how should I negotiate this? What should I say? How should I craft this email? Like things of that nature, but it was all very much so in the learning process. And then when quarantine hit, it was like, everything was a wrap. Everything stopped. (laughs) There was no, no theater, no auditions happening. It was just a wrap. I was just home. Like, all right, what do I do next? What's, what's my next move? What am I going to 
take this time to really try to learn or build or whatever. And so I was just looking up all kinds of random ideas, like, okay, what can I do? Maybe I can be a coder. Maybe I can uh, go back to school. Maybe I should apply for grad school. I was just trying to figure out anything. Um, And then my brother had this idea because we were watching Insecure every week, which is our favorite TV show. Love it. And he was like, what if we did something around the conversations we're having about Insecure? And so that's kind of like how it all started. Wow. Does Issa Rae know? Not yet. (laughs) She's gonna, honey buns. We're getting her in. She's gonna know. How cool would it be? And I'm just gonna state this and we're gonna make it happen with the universe and God. She becomes one of your investors. That would be a dream. I'm sprinkling the magic on the thought. Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Like, I'm such a big fan of her just as a Black woman, just seeing her journey of starting a YouTube show. You know, like she had a YouTube series and she just made it work. She created something that she was passionate about and she was able to make it into some huge, huge, huge thing. And now she's creating her own production company. She has all of these other amazing shows. She's producing other content by other Black creators. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just amazing. It's great that she was able to build something and then share that with her community. And she's done so much to help Black musicians too. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I find so much music from her show. And I know she's got writing camps going now that I think the final season is coming up, but they were specifically writing for Insecure and like her other mm-hmm. production. So I don't know. I think it's so cool. And that's one of the best parts of being a creative and being an entrepreneur is you get to help other people who are like you when you are starting out your journey. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important for good people to make it in whatever they're trying to. Mm. Like when you make it as a person who wants to help other people, you expand everyone's opportunity and I would say like the consciousness of the world on like a a grander more woo-woo scale yeah no it's so true that's why it's important like if you're ever feeling for anyone listening like if you're ever feeling like oh what's the point this is so hard I don't know if I can keep going because this this happens a lot right Britt especially when you're starting something out and you don't have the funding and you're just like Mm -hmm. trying to string every last penny together like does God even love me? (laughs) Am I doing the right thing? But in those moments, I think it's really important for us to remember when you make it, you can help the world so much more with that power, with that clout than you could if you just gave up on yourself. So, okay, you get this idea with your brother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What happens next? So it's him and his girlfriend, Jane. um, And then me as well. So we basically started having a weekly call on Zoom and we would just kind of brainstorm different ideas and decided like conversations are what we want. We want people to really connect. We want people to have a moment where they can be vulnerable with each other and just dive into their stories and and just share and just hopefully connect. So we thought, okay, conversation card game, (laughs) this could be a thing. So every week we would just come up with a bunch of like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions. And we would write them all down in this big, long spreadsheet. We would kind of categorize them into career, family, love life, sex life, and just see what worked. And we would have to answer them ourselves. And if they were fun and interesting, then we would say, okay, let's put that on the maybe list. If they were like, ah, yes, no, boring, then we would scrap it. So once we got to the point where we had like a few hundred that we were like, okay, these are good. Then we sent them out to all of our family, some close friends. We're like, hey, 
look these over, play, talk them over with your friends and let us know what works and what doesn't. And so we went back, reshaped the whole thing. So we had like a career category. We completely nixed that because no one was excited to talk about work. <laughs> Everyone was like, I don't want to talk about work. This is boring. Let me tell you about my 401k. <laughs> yeah. I don't talk about that. <laughs> and then it was like a family category that was kind of like, oh, I mean, sure. Yeah. So we kind of like moved some things around, restructured some of the questions and then created like 140 questions that we felt like really got interesting conversation going. So some of them are really like personal and really deep, really vulnerable. Some of them are really raunchy and really hilarious. So there's a good range. And I think the feedback that we've really gotten is that it's wrapped in this fun kind of bubble where you can enter and feel like, okay, this will be really fun. But then as you like continue to play, you realize, oh, wait, this is actually, it's actually like connecting us and we're having a moment. And, you know, some people have said that they played for hours and hours and didn't really expect to do that because they're like, oh, it'll probably be like a cute little 30 minute game. And they really connect with people. So it's exciting to hear that kind of feedback. Yeah. And how did you decide you wanted it to be on cards? Like, how was that decision made? And also tell me about the name because the name is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were thinking like an app, you know, if people can have it on their phone, they can move around with it really easily. But ultimately we wanted something physical. We, I think like a physical reminder that's like sitting on your table kind of reminds you like, oh, okay, I need to connect with people. I need to just share, you know, if it's on your coffee table, if it's on your bookshelf, it's a reminder. I need to share with people. I need to build relationships. And that's like the physical reminder that's right there for you. Whereas in your phone, we have so many things happening on our phone all the time. We, we, you know, eventually I'm sure we will have an an app that would be really fun. Yeah. But I think to start, we wanted to have like a tangible thing that you could hold in your hand and pass to another person and say, all right, I want to hear your answer to this. So it's just like building that connection and then hella awkward. (laughs) I love the name It's my favorite because it just has become a phrase that I say all the time now, you know, (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's hella awkward. Yikes. (laughs) But it's sort of a callback to, again, to insecure because you have that West coast that hella, you know, we don't really say it on the East coast, but on the West coast, people say hella this, hella that all the time. And then awkward, just kind of throwing back to Issa's awkward black girl, her original YouTube show. So it's just a combination of all of our inspiration with Issa and the show. And then, of course, it's just become like a really fun phrase to say. <laughs> yeah. And it really describes what it is because it's a mixture of funny, vulnerable. Being vulnerable is so awkward. I hate it. It's like, so awkward. I just started dating someone. And every time I like we're not official yet, but I really, really like him. Ooh. But every time I tell him how I feel, I'm like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> right it really is a culmination of like how you really feel when you're having to share like it is awkward it is uncomfortable like sometimes the questions you ask people you're like oh my gosh I don't want to have to bring this up but I want to know especially in dating yeah like this is like so amazing for dating because there's so many things that are like taboo to ask on like early dates yeah but you really do want to know these things especially when you're like our age like we're in our 30s we're like, I'm not trying to waste time. Clock's ticking, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> that is something. 
<laughs> I got to put a whole ovary in the freezer at this point. Right. Put them on ice, girl. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, this would be so great for when you're first dating someone to really get to know them. Yeah. And I I love the idea of calling it awkward because I, I actually say that now. Like, when I don't want to say something, I'm like, I really hate saying this. It, it feels terrible, but here it is. Yeah. And I think something <laughs> about saying that, that it's so hard yes. makes it less hard. Exactly. Just call it out from the beginning. Yeah. Call it out. Call it what it is. This is awkward. It feels uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable right now, but we're here and we're going to do it. And ultimately it's going to make our relationship better because we're going to learn about each other and connect. Yeah. Well, just get, get over it. (laughs) Doing this. Okay. Tell me about making a physical product. What's the process of that like? Because it's pretty easy to be like, oh, I'm going to start a consulting. It's not easy, but I'm going to start a consulting business. I'm going to start a coaching business. I'm going to start an Instagram page. Yeah. When you have to make a physical product, not only does that take money and time, you also have to know people and know what goes into So how did you learn these things and how did you go about it? Yeah. None of us, me, my brother, Jane, we knew nothing about creating a product. So we had to do a lot of research. I was on the internet. I joined a ton of Facebook groups that are dedicated to tabletop games. And I would just read every person's thread on what they're doing. I would ask so many questions and learned a ton from those Facebook groups, which is like super random, but it was super helpful. So basically I I figured out that you have to find a manufacturer I went online and looked up a bunch of card game manufacturers who do like paper and printing and basically said, all right, this is kind of my idea of what I want to make. Are you able to make things like that? What's the timeline to make something to to produce it? And what would the cost be? And so talking to these other manufacturers, they they came back and said, oh, well, you need to know this. You need to have this. I need to know that. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know any of those things. Okay. I guess I need to think about that. So then thankfully, Jane is a industrial product designer. So she was able to create the actual design oh, amazing. of the game and had like, you know, she can use CAD and all those other things that I know nothing about. What's CAD? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some design tools that I know nothing. Some cool thing It's in the computer. <laughs> but once she had like the design already like in a, digital format, we could send that and say, okay, now can you make this? (laughs) And so it was just trial and error. It was just a lot of research, a lot of asking a lot of questions to people who have already done it. um, And just not being afraid to say, I don't know, can you help me figure this out? (laughs) You know? And so you just learn in the doing really, like you have to just learn as you're going, the more we did, the more we realized we didn't know anything. So then I'd have to go back and kind of do some more research, ask more questions. And the Facebook groups are where I really got started. That was the beginning. They told me, do this, check that, have this, have that. And then that, I kind of flew from there. Yeah. And that's such a great note because there are dozens, probably well, more than dozens, there are probably thousands of Facebook pages Similar to this, maybe not necessarily all for games, but like for Mm -hmm. women in entrepreneurship. Actually, I'm going to add you one that my friend Dolma started for women startups who have like products. Oh, amazing. Yeah. People are always asking questions in there. Like I'm in there just because I'm friends with Dolma. So I kind of (laughs) like got in sneakily. But 
I learned so much from being in there and, and mm-hmm. people sleep on Facebook, but again, like there's a certain way to use it. And I feel like these resources of the groups, because people are really open in these groups. So open. Cause it's just peer to peer. Yeah. Peer to peer, more willing to share information than if you're like, can I pick your brain on this for a minute? Right. You know, so you're all in it together. So that's, that's such a great note. Time for Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. I really need it up. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Cape Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. You've gone through this, like you've created the product. Obviously, you figured out how to fund like the first round of making it, which like hats off. I'm sure that was a, a mission and very difficult. Absolutely. Uh, the first thing I want to ask is like, how do you push through moments of self-doubt? Because I know there's so much self-doubt that comes into starting anything. Mm-hmm. Can you take us through maybe one moment of self-doubt and how you got through it and onto the next task at hand? Yeah, I think the biggest personal self-doubt that I really experienced, especially at the beginning was the inexperience of, of, of running a business. You know, my, again, my brother has a business background. He has, he works for a big startup. He has, you know, valuable information in that realm. Jane is a product designer. She has, you know, specific skills that really help make our game. I came from like, all right, I know storytelling. I, I can help create these questions and I can help I love just researching in general, but I don't have like this whole business savvy. So I had a lot of self-doubt, especially at the beginning of thinking like, can I actually run a company? Like this is becoming a real company. Can I run it? Do I have the skills that I need to be able to kind of network with people? Do I know the terminology of, you know, there's so many business terms like, oh, what's the, the cost per acquisition? And you know, what's, what's the business plan? What is your revenue expected to be? And like, I was like, I don't know these things. So I had to really learn. And the biggest resource that I got was I ended up joining this group that's connected to university of Chicago. And they were having kind of like a cohort for women who were starting businesses or interested in starting businesses. And that was so helpful to me because it was a small group of us women. We would meet every week and we would just kind of learn and talk and it was guided by people who, you know, had went to a business school and they could just share like different workshops and different just learnings in general and different experiences. And so that was like a safe space for me to be like, I have no idea what that is. I need to learn more. And it felt like independent. Like I could go and just say, all right, I'm spending every week learning from these women, encouraging them. They're encouraging me. And we're all going through this together. We're all different places in our business lives. And we're learning from each other. And it was so helpful to have that because at the beginning, I was just like, I have no clue. Like, I am just on the internet, Googling things, trying to figure it out, but I need like a dedicated place to go. And so that was my place to kind of get that boost of confidence that I needed. Yeah. And I love that. And I think it's applicable. So if you're in a moment of self-doubt, figuring out what is spurring on the self-doubt 
and then how you can find the answers to the things that you're in question about. And it's especially helpful if it's somehow in community with other people going through the same thing. Exactly. So seeking out that community and and a knowledge base of people who've actually already done it as well, those business mentors, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, you have to find the community. I think it's so important because we all have those moments where we feel like we're going through something ourselves. We're the only ones like, dealing with this thing. And that's never the case. And if you can have people that you can go to and feel like, oh, okay, we're all in this. We're all in this together. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you're just, you're going to feel like, oh, okay, great. They've been through this. I can do this too. I got it. Right. Yeah, it's so true. And I feel like as an artist, like or someone who has like an artist brain, it's so easy to like really get into the idea like I'm alone in life. <laughs> <laughs> like cuz it feels so good to be dramatic sometimes, doesn't it? Like it just feels so good to like go to the most crazy the extreme. extreme. You can. <laughs> but then like being like, okay, all right, that was fun, but let's let's not yeah. do that for now. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) I love you. Yes. Makes so much sense. So take us to now. We're we're about to, you and me together. (laughs) Um, So you're you're with your co-founders about to do this huge campaign for crowdfunding. Yeah. Tell me about it. How can we support you? Yes. What's going on? Yeah, we're about to launch a campaign for crowdfunding on October 5th, Tuesday. I'm super excited because we're going to be on this platform called Fund Black Founders. And it was created by Renee King, who's a Black woman. And her mission is just to make sure that funding gets to Black founders, Black entrepreneurs. So she's been absolutely incredible. We meet with her every week and um, she just is so supportive and She'll just help us build our page, help give us networking, um, PR advice, like a bunch of different great resources that she's allowed us. And so I'm really excited because we basically are using our crowdfunding money because we just got this really amazing deal at Macy's. So we're on Macy's.com. We're also in 20 stores nationwide. And because of that, we've had other interests from other big retailers that are like, oh, wait, maybe we should talk. And they're like, yes. So we're kind of like, okay, we got to move. We got to get this thing rolling. So we need to buy more inventory. We need to really focus in on marketing. And so we were like, great, this is just perfect timing because we can launch this crowdfund and people can really get involved. So on Tuesday, the 5th, I guess this will probably be already out, but it'll be live for a whole month. So all of October, it'll be live on Fund Black Founders. So you can find us there. And of course, we're on, you know, all the socials at Hella Awkward Cards. So you can always check in. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you. How about venture capital? You already have proof. Your proof of concept is Macy's. Hello. Like, are you going out for <laughs> yeah. VC as well? I think perhaps, perhaps. I think ultimately, I think what would probably be, be-, be best would be like an angel investor situation. Yeah. So you can keep ownership. Yeah. I would, I think for me, I would like to do that, but we're open. Like, I think it's still very early. So we're open to different ideas and hearing different avenues of funding and capital. But I think the crowdfund will be really great because we can really bring our community of people in and have people really get involved and share it and participate and try out a new, we'll have like new expansion packs and um, some merch coming out. And so it'd be fun to have 
people that we know and love be there from the beginning to support. And then, yeah, and then we'll see next round how we want to raise some more capital. I mean, this is so exciting because usually when you donate to something, you don't know if it's ever going to see the light of day or exist mm. in any capacity outside of the person just putting it out, which I think is still wildly valuable and we should always support our our fellow creatives and certainly friends and family. Yeah. But this is exciting because when you support <laughs> this, it's going to Macy's. Like you get to see <laughs> the the donation you gave or the funding you gave in a store. Like yeah. it's happening. Brit just needs this to make it happen more swiftly and efficiently. Exactly. Exactly. It's already happening. Like we're already in business. We're already operational. So it's cool because you know, there are so many Kickstarter is like a huge, a huge business. Like I think in the tabletop game industry alone, there's like over $200 million raised just for games on Kickstarter Wow! in 2020. That's insane. Like there, this is a huge market. And I think especially being able to fund on fun black founders and knowing that people are going to be driven to that website. And there's other amazing black companies that are also raising money on that website as well. And just having the opportunity to kind of check out what's going on in the black entrepreneurial space. Yes. Check it out, go over there and just support and and be there from the early, early days. Yeah. How good is it going to feel for you when this becomes the biggest game in America? It's like, (laughs) yes, I was there on the ground level, honey. I feel like that. I found Billie Eilish when she only had like 17,000 followers. Wow. And I always feel like I'm never on the ground level of anything. Wow. But I take great pride in the fact that I was one of her first fans. Yeah, are you kidding? That's amazing. But it does. It feels so good. It's like, that's like a huge feather in my cap for the rest of the time. And I feel like people can feel the same way about hella awkward cards. Yeah, you were there first from the beginning. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. A founding member of the community. Um, Okay, so we're definitely going to put the link in the show notes. I will link it in my stories when it comes out. We'll we'll do all that. So please, please support Brit and share it on your socials too. Share so pictures of you playing the game. Like absolutely, it's so helpful. People trust their friends and people they follow. So that's how we got the Macy's deal was because they saw someone posted on Instagram stories. That's why I'm always like, if you can't buy it, if you're not financially able to support the crowdfund. If you just share it, like that is huge. Sharing it on your social media, sending it to a friend, like that is how these things sort of move. So that is so, so valuable. Yeah. I literally ask the listeners every single week. I'm like, just share it on your socials. I'll repost to share my gratitude. But that, Mm -hmm. it moves podcasts, it moves businesses, it moves anything creative forward. Yes. I want to ask you a few follow-up questions to all we've talked about. So you talked about, I think when, when we were going through the acting part of your journey, how you had gotten into comparison and like, am I not doing enough? Comparison is something I don't care what kind of uh, creative journey you're on. It's going to come up again and again, even if you're just on a human journey, it's going to come up again and again. Mm -hmm. How do you keep yourself from falling into a comparison trap? Mm. It's hard, legit. It's a constant struggle, a constant battle. Even now, like as an entrepreneur, you're going to constantly see, oh, okay, they're doing that in their business. Oh, should I be doing this? Oh, they're posting this many times a day. Should I be posting that many times a day? Like there's always going to be these moments where you're going to compare yourself. I think the key is to catch it right in the moment. So kind of creating a practice where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm comparing myself in a negative way. This isn't serving me. This isn't positive. This isn't helping propel me to be better. This is me comparing and being negative. Okay. 
take a second, take a breath and just re-acknowledge I'm doing an amazing job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing or I'm being, I'm breathing, I'm alive, like just whatever it is. I think that's the key. It all comes back to the (laughs) affirmations. Yes. Yes. And then you've got these co-founders. It really sounds like you all serve your distinct roles. And it's amazing that it's your brother and his girlfriend because you know you can trust them, which is just such a benefit. But what would be your advice on somebody when partnering with one or more people on a business or a project? How do you make sure you have a good balance within a duo or a trio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for us from the beginning, because it's my brother, we always were super close. And then it was also his girlfriend and they were also obviously building their relationship. We knew that the only way this was going to be successful is if we always did it with love first. So that was something we talked about from the beginning was we need to have fun. We need to enjoy it. It has to be respectful. It has to be loving. And if we can always make that be the forefront, then we'll, we're going to be great. So that was the key. We, from the beginning, anytime, even if we have a disagreement now, it's like, okay, you finish speaking your part, I'll speak my part. And then we can say, all right, ultimately we're trying to serve us being great. So what do we feel like is going to be the best option? And it also is great because there's three of us. So we can kind of play off of each other. And if me and Jane are like, oh, Brandon, I don't know if that's the best <laughs> way to go. Like, <laughs> then I'll be like, all right, all right. If you both love this thing, then we'll do that thing. Great. But I, I definitely think if you start your intentions from the beginning with a partnership of any sort and just say, this has to be loving and respectful, we have to enjoy it, we have to really advocate for it, we have to love it, then I think it'll, it'll always be amazing. I think that's amazing advice, even if you're going about it on your own, because if it's ever getting to a point where you're not leading with love, where you're leading with fear or anger or resentment or bitterness, that's when you know you kind of have to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, what is your current relationship with acting? Where is it in your life? Is it still something you're putting into the forefront or are you just completely focus on the cards at the moment? Yeah, it's still a part of my life and it's so much healthier now because I can submit for things when I feel like it or when I want to. And I also am lucky to have an agent who sends me auditions that she knows I'm going to be good for. And so I can send in tapes and do that from home primarily, which has been really nice, but it's definitely still a part of my life. It's always going to be a part of my life. I love acting. I love performing. Yeah. It's just at a slower pace. And what does it feel like to have this different relationship with it now? It feels healthy. I'm not doing it to fulfill this need of feeling like I'm a good actor or feeling like I'm hustling or feeling like, okay, this is the the New York city life. Like I was doing all of those things to feel like I was doing it, but I wasn't really doing it for me because I was exhausted Mm. and I was tired all the time. Now I feel like I'm choosing it and it feels fulfilling when I'm, when I get to say, oh, great, I'm going to do this audition because I really love this project. This sounds really interesting to me. And it feels just way healthier, way more exciting, way more fun, way more balanced. Yes. And I think, Britt, it was the same thing for me. When I had to really reevaluate my relationship with acting, it was probably like 2015. I was like, this feels like an abusive relationship. Yeah. It feels like a toxic, toxic relationship because my whole self-worth hangs in the balance and it's not fun anymore. And I dread everything to do with it. Yeah. And so I think for anyone who's in that state with their creative exploit or passion, you either need to take a pause or reevaluate and find a different approach because it should not, this is hard enough. It shouldn't feel like that. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Take a pause, take that break. And finding something else to put in your creative basket sometimes is exactly what you need in order to redefine the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could go back and talk to younger Brit, <laughs> the one who was standing in lines and being like, this life is unsustainable. I'm exhausted. This isn't fun. Mm. What advice would you give her? Or what would you tell her about her creative journey that you think would have helped you back then? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's emotional too. When you really think about like, wow, when you really step back and like, remember those moments, like it was hard. Like New York is hard. It's a hard city. And you have those times constantly where you're just like, am I doing the right thing? And of course, when you're on a journey, you you don't see the full picture when you're in the mud, when you're in the thing, you can't always kind of take a step back and see the grand picture of it all. And I think I would probably tell myself, just trust in this process, trust in this journey and know that you're amazing and you have to trust yourself more. And when you start to feel those inklings of this isn't quite right, this isn't quite what I'm wanting to dive into that, to trust that those gut feelings are there for a reason. And you need to dive in and figure out why how can you change it? What needs to be done? And, you know, make moves. (laughs) And that thing you said, dive in. So many of us spend our time skirting around our pain, avoiding our pain. And we think that that's going to lead us to some sort of happiness or um, greater sense of peace. But truly, unfortunately for all of us, (laughs) the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. And so what What a profound piece of advice you gave to Younger Brit, but also to anyone listening, because we've all, we're probably all doing this in some way, even now. Yeah. Go into your pain because it has all the answers of how to get out of it. Absolutely. You have to dive in. You have to. That's the only way. You have to acknowledge it and you have to sit in it and say, all right, this is how I'm feeling. This is real. This is my world at this point. It won't be my world always because now I'm going to take the time to really figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Final question. If younger Brit could see you now (laughs) and talk to you now and see the amazing entrepreneur you've become, the woman you are, how you're standing in your truth, you're finding a way to pursue acting that feels healthy and fun to you. What do you think she would say to you now and why? I think she would be shocked. (laughs) I think she would be like, wow, like this is finally a place full of joy and sanity and health. And I think she would just say, okay, now that I know and I can see that that's where we're going, I can breathe easier and feel confident and feel good knowing that, okay, this is where we're, this is where we're heading. We're heading to this, this person, this version of, of us. Well, I couldn't be more proud of you. I love you so much. Um, I'm so excited for everything you're accomplishing and for really more than anything for the person that you are, because you've always been an amazing person, but it's just so beautiful to see somebody unfold into their truest self. And, uh, I just adore you and everybody, please go support Brit. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, um, but also follow her and, um, and I'll give you all the plugs at the end, but I just love you so much. 
I love you. This was so amazing. I'm so proud of you also. This creativity and your music and everything that you're doing so beautiful. You're just a, a beautiful soul. You've always been such such a gem, such a light. Mm, likewise. Love you. Mwah. Mwah. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to my guest, Britt Rowe. For more info on Britt, you can follow her at naturallybigbrit with two T's on Britt on Instagram. You can also check out, support, and help fund her amazing card game, Hella Awkward Cards, at funblackfounders.com slash hellaawkwardcards and at hellaawkwardcards on Instagram. Thank you so much to Unleash producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow Unleash on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Brit at Naturally Big Brit so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that if you're feeling called to break out of the box of whatever labels life has put on you or you've put on yourself, do it. We are so capable of expanding and becoming multiple things or changing our course halfway through or maybe all the way through. You're capable of more than you think. And so I want you to know I love you. I believe in you. And I will talk with you next week.